Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this week I'm in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania talking with Becky Ryman of Wall and Paul Pack Brewing Company. It's coming up on four years in operation now, and they're at a crossroads, looking to grow, but trying to figure out the best path forward. From paying employees well and staff retention to managing the owner and brewer relationship, we get into the nuts and bolts of the business. But first, I'm going to ask you to check out BeerEdge.com, where you can listen to episodes of this show, as well as the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. He's doing some really fascinating interviews with people behind important beer coverage, and these chats go beyond the headlines. I think you'll enjoy them. And we also have a merch page there where you can stock up on all of your Defend Pilsner and Camp Rauk beer needs. We're also on the air through support of our advertisers. And if you'd like to learn more about that, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's on email at liz at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, thanks to NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or on Twitter. And we're also brought to you by Dragon's Milk. 20 years ago, New Holland Brewing Company embarked on a journey into the unknown, brewing the first batch of Dragon's Milk bourbon barrel aged stout. What started as a single barrel in the back of the brewery has transformed into the best-selling American-made stout today. Pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels, each bottle of Dragon's Milk is delicious in its adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. So four years ago now, I was working on the Drink Beer, Think Beer book, and I needed some quiet time away. So I decamped to my wife's family house in the Poconos. And as I was pulling out of the grocery store stocked with supplies, I saw a newly constructed building where an Arby's had once stood. And through the window, it was clear that fermenters were standing tall. Hopeful and intrigued, I soon found out that it was the soon-to-open Wallen Paul Pack Brewing Company, and I was introduced to Becky Ryman. She founded the brewery with her brother, and in the last four years has grown the business, serving an area that was underserved, and focusing on being a good employer that puts the ideals of craft beer first. Back up in the area now, again for a few days of downtime, I sat in the brewery's fenced-in patio with Becky earlier this week. It was Sunday morning, and brunch service had just begun. We talk about worry and success, difficulties ahead, and why beer, not seltzer, is still the focus. Here's our conversation. So I was saying before we started, I love coming up here because it gets me out of my beer bubble. I get to go to package stores, and I see what is really being sold in America right yep. now. And it's all variations on American light lager or these days endless choice in hard seltzer or budget brands that I've never heard of, but that I see people walk out in with 30 packs under their arms, uh, you know, 90 at a time. And then I get to come here again, uh, which I have been for the last four years. And I get to see what a good craft brewery is doing in a region that is largely underserved by craft and has been for a long time. There, there are some other breweries in the area, but 
one of your size and with your focus. How have you been received in what I guess was really sort of like a craft desert? Yeah, so the reception's been amazing for us. Um, I think that's, you know, a lot of our success is attributable to the fact that we are one of none in a sense. Um, Northeast PA was very deprived, I think, of good craft choices prior to us coming on the scene. And, um, you know, the scale we built on with the 20 barrel brew house right out the gate, you know, enabled us to get out to the market pretty quickly, um, get our product in cans and kind of introduce people to local craft. You know, you had some of your bigger craft options, you know, in the area and in bars in some of these stores, but um, people having a brand they can call their own, a brand they've learned to trust, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, they'll, they'll buy anything as long as it's branded wall and paw pack because they know we make a good product Yeah, um, has been really awesome. And I think, um, you know, starting out with a beer like Cream Ale and um, introducing that to a market that's used to those brands like you spoke about yeah. um, and then really using that as a conversion beer has enabled us to just r- make huge headway in a, an area where there really was, you know, no local craft. Are you finding it's because this is a pretty big tourist area, although there are locals here. Are the locals coming back more and more or is this more tourist dependent? Um, so our locals have been extremely supportive, especially last year through COVID. I mean, they were they were stable for us. That was a, a very solid base that we had. Um, and they do come back, um, you know, not so much in the summer, I guess. They they kind of lose uh, a little bit of interest, I think, because we do get so busy with the tourist season. But, um, you know, throughout the year, they, they support our beer dinners and any kind of events we have going on. Um, they do, you know, come in and, and support us. Um, and then as far as the tourists go, um, it's fascinating because we've kind of spawned market demand in other areas that, um, you know, we we weren't really prepared for. Um, We get a lot of like requests for beer from bars in Long Island and um, a lot of places in New York. Um, And that's that's a lot of the population. And, you know, yeah, that come here this. Yeah. 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 So um, we've got kind of this like local following, but then we also have this following that's developed in, you know, other areas that are that are really densely populated, which has um, been really fascinating for us to watch. But is that even something that you can capitalize on? Um, it is. I mean, we've we've got um, wholesalers, you know, reaching out to us from those areas saying, you know, our our base actually is looking for your product. You know, can you supply it? Um, so that's sort of where we're at right now is trying to decide, you know, are we ready to make that leap to be that, you know, almost regional sized brewery and kind of get into other areas and other states? Um, or are we kind of happy settling out where we are, you know, keeping our wholesale distribution more local? Um and, and what does that entail? You know, that's kind of. So I, if you can, like, I, I'd love to get into that because I'm really curious about where the pros and cons lie for a brewery like yours, where if people come here, like I think about um, Fat Tire quite a bit from New Belgium. Like I loved going out to Denver and to the States where I could get it because it was special. Mm-hmm. And then when it came to New Jersey, uh, maybe four or five years ago, I went out to a pub, I had a pint of it. I was like, that's cool. And I don't think I've had it since. Yep. But there was something about going to Denver, going to Colorado and drinking that beer. Is, is, does that play into your, your concern? Like if the people who come here from Long Island can get it where they live now, is it as special? Are they going to buy as much as they're... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it does. Um, because, you know, even... 
it's you know the, the how big do we want to grow and how big do we want to go so um you know even the the quantities and availability we've discussed with the wholesalers in new york that we could get them you know it's it's not vast quantities it's not probably you know new belgium caliber well, sure you know so um i think it'll it'll still have a, a uniqueness to it in the fact that it will be a scarce availability kind of a product um but i think it does kind of you know elicit that um that good vibe of like Oh, I had this when I was up at the lake. I was on vacation. I was enjoying myself, um, much like Cape May does. Like I, yeah. I kind of am, you know, always impressed with how, um, you know, they they do their marketing so that, you know, people are, are recalling their their experience at the shore. You know, and and we've kind of become that. I think for these these consumers that go back, you know, from our tourist destination, go home, and you know, if they can enjoy our product there and and reconnect that with their experience at the lake, I think that'd be a really neat offering. So. Where do you have where, so where do you then do you start in the process of finding out if it is actually feasible for the long term? Yeah, so we're we we obviously started our brewery really large, right? We built for capacity, we built for expansion, and that was just you know kind of a, a unique opportunity that we had at the time. You know, this isn't I tell my staff a lot of time this isn't real life. Like most breweries don't start out this way, but um, you know we had the resources, I had the business backing and the the wherewithal to be able to do what we did. Um, but now we're kind of to that point where we grew way faster than I had planned or ever hoped and imagined, which is a great problem, right? Good yeah. problems, luxury problem. Um, but now it's, you know, we're, we're in Holly still. And I have to remember that sometimes because, you know, the infrastructure that's here, the, you know, sewer availability and some of the other things, um, aren't that fantastic, you yeah. know? So, um, we're kind of looking at, you know, what do we really want to be when we grow up and do we expand in a different direction? Um, do we go out and, you know, greenfield our own new facility um, and, and put in a 50 barrel system or something of that caliber? Um, or what can we do here on site and really evaluate our, our capacity and, and see if there's ways we can, you know, integrate things that'll allow us to, to keep growing? Um, so it's it's literally right where we are right now, um, making those decisions because coming into our you know winter season, we're not as busy. Yeah. So if we're going to retool and, and gear up, that's the time to do it. Um, so we're, we're still leaning toward using this facility. Um, and I think we've been doing a lot of really good research to, to show we can still produce more products here. And there are some things we could retool on our brew house that would make it more efficient and, and get some larger batches out. Um, so that's, that's sort of where we're headed right now. When you first started, I remember coming here early on and you were saying, okay, this is Yingling country. And we want to be the craft choice for the yingling drinkers. You know, people are going to come in with their with their kids or they're just going to come in because they see beer mm-hmm. and they're going to ask for a lager. They're going to ask for a yingling and you wanted to give them something similar to that so that they didn't just turn on their heel and walk out the door. Is that, Did that happen? Um, it did. So I think one of my favorite stories is that um, we used to have this local couple that would come in all the time and, um, you know, the husband would always kind of gravitate toward our cream ale or whatever lager we had on draft at the time. And, um, you know, about a couple months ago, uh, they had come in and the wife said to me, she goes, I have this great story I have to tell you. She goes, you know, we've been coming here for our date night for, you know, two years now. This has been, it's been a great place for us. And when we started coming, my husband was very much the cream ale drinker, you know? And she goes, but then one day one of your bartenders suggested, why don't you try the pale ale, you know, like step out of your comfort zone. 
Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, now it's the, the large mouth and now he's drinking our double IPAs and she's like, I'm like, who am I married to? You know, this, our date night started out so simple and you were this just, you know, lager drinker. And, um, now you've evolved into this, you know, craft beer fan and he appreciates the style. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's been cool that we've been able to keep some of those classic styles on, but we've also been able to dabble in some of the more trendy styles and, you know, the IPAs and, and do those things. And, um, people have appreciated that and people have grown. I, th- I think we've actually, you know, done lupulin shifts on people's palates, which is super cool, you know, to be able to, um, do that in an area that was primarily, you know, very yingling heavy and, and very, you know, bush heavy and Coors Light and, you know, all the, the, the big brands. I, I sort of jumped ahead because I want to go back to just to when you started and the production and the size and scope of the brewery. Um, you know, you mentioned having the resources and the business background and everything else like that. But you also have family that owns a brewery in Florida that you guys learned a lot of what not to do. Yeah, that's that's true. So um, my cousin Maurice owns Marker 48 in uh, Brooksville, Florida. And, um, you know, early on, my my goal was to start my own business. I'm a CPA by background. It was something I really wanted to do, but I wanted to do something I'd enjoy, something that'd be fun to come to every day. Um, I have background in manufacturing, so the brewery thing was very easy for me to actually step into. And, um, you know, one of the, the pieces of advice he gave me early on was, you know, go with the 20 barrel brew house because, you know, he started on a seven and he was like, you know, if you're eating Cheerios for a while, it'll be okay. Again, it's a big, big dollar amount to spend. Um, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, much like him, I mean, he was the first in his County to start a brewery and he and his wife fought very hard to make that happen. Um, and you know, instantly successful. I mean, they just transformed their community and their community's views on craft. And, um, you know, he saw what we were doing and said, you know, he knows the area and said, you guys have the opportunity to do the same. So, um, yeah, to his credit, um, he definitely, you know, pushed us in that direction and it was the right decision. You know, I'm, I'm grateful I had that advice early on. Was there anything else though that you saw? I mean, if, if starting with a seven, you know, it's tough. Like I'm talking to people now who are like, oh, I'm going to get into it and I'm going to be brewing a, you know, a barrel and a half at a time. And I'm saying like professionally, like you just you, like, no, yeah. like don't, uh, it's, it's going to be more heartache and hurt than you think it's going to be. Yep. I, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's going to a lot of breweries, too. So I think we've talked before. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in Asheville and in places where, you know, I could go see those one and a half barrel breweries, but I could also see Sierra Nevada and, you know, kind of gauge, like, where do I want to be in that? And what makes sense, you know, from a business perspective? Am I getting into this to make money or am I getting into this to, you know, be a great craft brewery? Yeah, all of those things. You know, you don't want to be... You have to do both, though, right? You do. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of like I, I mentioned in our emails, like, you know, it's, it's brewery hat and business hat for me constantly you know yeah we can make great beer and we can do awesome things but at the end of the day like we have to be sustainable you know I I have 52 employees right now that I'm responsible to sign their paychecks for every week yeah isn't that crazy that really is yeah 50 we've grown tremendously you know we're, we're actually now a big employer in this area which is so cool um but yeah like you know you you want to have that grounding every day to come in and and say like yeah I'm responsible for this group of people and you know, starting out with a 20 barrel brew house was, it was, it was daunting, you know? And, um, the nice thing, you know, the advice my cousin gave me too, was you, you can always brew down, you know, just because you have a 20 barrel brew house doesn't mean you have to make a 20 barrel batch. Yeah. And early on, you know, we had all those 10 barrel tanks. You saw them sitting in there. They're, yeah. they're gone. They're sold. Um, and now they're replaced with twenties and forties and we're talking about sixties and, 
um, you know, you can brew up and you can brew down. And I think that's something people take for granted. You know, if you can afford to go the bigger route, yeah, you don't have to make all the beer at once and fill all your fermenters. Grow your brand, get a system that's going to produce good quality beer for you, get a good brewer and and go from there. You know, that's I think that's lost in translation a lot that people don't understand you can brew down. <laughs> you know, it's OK. The idea of signing paychecks for 52 employees has got to feel good in a lot of ways, but it has to bring a ton of worry. Yeah, absolutely. What are you worried about right now? Um, so right now, I think just in the craft sphere, right, there's um, a lot of threats of entrance to market, right, and like RTDs and cannabis. And um, it's, I think the landscape of like craft right now is much different than it was four years ago. Like I, those weren't thoughts on my mind, you no. know? Um, so again, as a business owner, like I have to wear that hat and kind of just separate out like the craft love component for a second. You know, I love what we do. I love that we make amazing craft beer. Um, but I also have to look at a business and like the future of those people, the fu- my future, you know, my future of my investment um, and, and consider those things. Right. And it's like, do you embrace it? Do you fight it? Um, you know, I was recently appointed to the board for the state guild for Pennsylvania, which is, you know, a huge honor and privilege. And um, there's just the work that that group is doing and try to try to keep you know craft relevant and you know fight for our equity in Pennsylvania is it's amazing and I'm I'm happy to be a part of that because that's something you know I know I can now help affect that affects the future of my business and also the the future of my 52 employees you yeah. know to, to keep us relevant and to keep us you know have to have craft have their space and and not be losing out to all these competitive you know products what's interesting though is it's this argument that's been around for a long time of you know protect craft or support craft or things like that and uh i'm not going to get into the quality argument because that's a whole other that's a whole other thing and you guys have always made good beer and I've, i've i've enjoyed it but one of the largest breweries in the state of pennsylvania is boston beer company mm-hmm. which if recent numbers that have been reported out by a few folks uh, are, are to be believed, the Sam Adams line of beer is like less than 10% of their output right now. They're putting everything into Truly and Twisted Tea and things like that. So, and it, you can't call those things craft and, you know, it, it's, it, but it's where, it's what the consumers want. Yeah. How do you reconcile that where you have fellow members who are as, as essentially putting the idea of craft at, at stake and having been ones that actually built up what craft could be or aspired to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so one, I think it shows the pressure that's on us as brewers right now. Right. Because um, you have these emerging, you know, categories basically, but you know, with the seltzers and the, the flavored malt beverage, you're still under the craft bubble you know as far as like taxation and all the, yeah. those things goes like there's they're still within that category um so yeah you can argue right is it actually beer is it craft you know i i personally don't think it is like we haven't we've dabbled in seltzers we haven't hung our hat on that we're trying to still stick very beer focused um but it's you know it it, it begs the question though and it's you know what makes me think every day like they're going that direction so um, what actually is the fate of that? I, you know, and, and it's, it goes back to the business issues. And at the end of the day, they're still a business. And I, I fully understand that. So if they're seeing, you know, footing being lost in craft, you know, that's that's a signal to the rest of us to, to see what they're doing and the direction they're going. And um, it's something that we have to start to contemplate, especially as we start to grow. Like, you know, what space are we going to grow into? 
Is there a drumbeat from customers that walk through that want those alternative beverages? There is. Um, we have a ton of people walking in every day asking for seltzer, you know, and seltzer in a can. And we did a seltzer once. And why didn't you bring it back? And, um, you know, we just we focused our tank space and our resources on making ales and lagers. You know, that's that's kind of what we wanted to do. And we're, you know, we're keeping that space. It's fine. I mean, we're, we're doing well with it. We haven't been forced into offering those products. You know, we, we have a batch of hard seltzer on that we just tapped the other day, our first one this summer. And it's almost over, you know, um, but uh, we, we just put it on. Summer's almost over or the tank is almost Summer's empty. almost over, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but um, we're, we're just getting it out now. It wasn't a priority for us this year. We had plenty of space and, you know, time to do our, our regular beers and plenty of demand for it. So, um, you know, there it's it's starting, I think, to become something, but um, it's, you know, the gluten-free crowd, the health-conscious crowd, we're, you know, getting some pressure from them. You know, we tried to combat it a little bit with our, you know, locale IPA offering, you know, yeah. for more of the health-conscious crowd, and that was pretty successful for us. So that's something we're, we're looking to bring on more year-round. Um, but as far as the seltzer, it's for us right now, I don't think it's something that we want to bring on full time or start to can. How come? Um, I think we're just we're content with the space and the, the demand we have for just the ales and lagers right now. Um, and we're still growing those. You know, we're still adding to our like hazy IPA series and we're doing this exploration into these historical beers that Logan recently, you know, recently launched. And, yeah. you know, so we're we're, we're still finding other things to keep us interested and I think keep our crowd interested you know so it, it hasn't been a pressure point for us yet um, because we're still able to offer you know fruit beers and we're putting out our cucumber beer soon and just interesting other products that you know people are, are still buying so it's we haven't lost that space yet we haven't lost that demand how important though is it to have I mean, if you put a seltzer on, it's going to sell and mm -hmm. people are going to come through. I mean, that's just what the market says it's going to do right now. Um, but you also have to feel good about it. Like I talked to brewers who are like, yeah, my seltzer sells and, you know, it's easy to make. And, you know, it, I die a little bit each time uh, that I make one. But then I look at my bank account and I feel a little bit better that I can survive for another week. It, it doesn't sound like it's there for you. Like, like the the passion to make it isn't there but then also the bottom line isn't dictating that you have to do it yeah and and we've been fortunate in that so i i think you know logan and i um logan's my brewer you know he's got this this great relationship with me where we can have like serious conversations about you know what he's passionate about making and then i can make it work financially um just in the also the sense that you know you know our tap lists and we haven't had a lot of hazy double ipas you know yeah we dabble in that a little bit um so just like we're kind of dabbling in seltzer and um you know we've we've found the way to make the money to support the you know business to do craft um and on our scale we can and that's you know, again, something that plays back in my mind as I'm looking to see if we should go to a 50 barrel system or how we do this, like, you know, what does that capacity then look like? Can I support, you know, that barrelage, you know, being 5,000 plus barrels doing just ales and lagers? I don't yeah. know. Like I, that question, I don't know. You know, that's, that's where Logan and I would have to sit down and actually say like, you know, do we need to be trendy? Do we need to be seltzer, you know, heavier than we are? Is that, you know, is 20% of our production now seltzers that we can crank and make money on to support what we're passionate about doing? You know, that's, that's yeah. a, a big consideration. Anything that you put out though, there has to be, I, I guess there doesn't have to be, I mean, you can just do it, but like, would you feel weird putting something out that was just a financial thing? 
Um, like I a, think like just yeah. just solely for financial gain and like not getting like any actual like personal or professional satisfaction out of it. I think Logan and I would. I, I mean, we're the type of people that you know we we did this out of passion. Like we really did, you know. And um, I know like he would die a little inside if we became that brewery. <laughs> he really would. Um, and he's uh, you know he's he's a phenomenal brewer and he's he's very you know to the to the style. He likes to experiment. Um, and, you know, there's still those breweries out there that are doing that. And, like, you know, we respect that. And I just, it'll be a leap for us if we have to, to do that. I think he'd understand. I think he would, you know, get the the bottom line, you know, reasoning. But, um, yeah, I, I think it would be a hard, hard decision for us to make if we had to do that. Because we've been so true to just doing what we do and, and finding our niche and doing that. More with Becky Ryman in just a moment, but first, a word of thanks to the companies that help keep Drink Beer Think Beer on the air. Pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels, each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. And also check out NZ Hops. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And now back to my conversation with Becky Ryman, recorded on location at the Wall and Paul Pack Brewing Company in Pennsylvania. I've been thinking a lot about the interviews that I've been doing on this show recently, and I've been talking to a lot of brewers. Um, and in some cases, it's I haven't had an owner on in quite a while. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes the brewers are also the owners. Um, or their, their, their employees and things like that who have, you know, good relationships or, or, or not. What have you found in the four years is the most important thing about having a relationship with a brewer? Because you're a CPA by training, you know, so you obviously have the passion, but you also have the analytical mindset. Whereas brewers a lot of the time just come in with like passion and creativity and no sense for business. And, you know, like, you know, like leave me alone, bean pusher. This may be your place, but this brew house is my domain kind of thing. How have you found a good way for you and Logan to get to the point where you have this relationship? I mean, you're, you're, you're every conversation I've had with you and it's even showing up on this tape right now is you speak of him like a peer as opposed to an employee. Yeah. So um, early on in like my prior career, someone once told me, you know, you can't do everything. You focus on what you're good at and you hire really good people to help you with the other pieces, you know? Um, and that's kind of been my philosophy from day one. You know, I, like I told you before, I've dabbled in homebrewing. I know enough to be dangerous. I can, you know, <laughs> you know enough to create out the a good stout yeah. on my, <laughs> on my stovetop. Um, but it's, you know, to go run the brew house, I, you know, I, I can hang out in there and I can understand what he's doing, but, um, you know, that's his forte. And, and I respect that, you know, and I think a lot of it comes from respect, just very much like, you know, my executive chef runs my kitchen, you know, um, my salesman, you know, runs our sales show. And I've just really tried to hire people who have the passion to do what they're doing, but are, you know, coachable enough that, um, 
you know, when I sit down with them and say, look, like I get your, you want to do this, but you know, here's where we need to be. And like, how do we get there together? And, um, you know, that's, that's what I've just learned. And, you know, I'm hiring these people that are way more qualified to do those aspects of the business than I could ever be. Like, you'll not find me in the kitchen cooking here, you know, ever. Yeah. Um, and it's just been, it's been a game of respect, you know, and, and they respect that they have a good place to come to work every day. And, you know, we have top quality equipment and, you know, I'm always willing to give them what they they need to be successful and you know they reciprocate that with you know doing a good job and and being a conscious you know cost conserver and helping me with you know PL problems and and understanding like you know being when you're you know they're buying things and looking at all they're doing um you know at the end of the day it is a business so i respect them for what they do they respect me for the fact that we have a successful business and it's it's just been a great relationship when you think about relationships outside of the brewery, like I remember the, covering the early days of craft where somebody could just pick up the phone and call somebody down the street or, you know, on the other side of the state or whatever and say like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Um, you know, can, can you help me out? And there was a sense of camaraderie and I know that's something that's talked about a lot, but I also get the impression that because there are so many more breweries these days and people are trying to beat each other's brains out, you know, just to pay their 52 employees or just to pay their three employees or just to keep the lights on, mm -hmm. that there's not that same level of, um, I don't know, outreach or conversation among, you know, people in, in, in the industry. Do you find yourself reaching out to folks outside of beer for insight, for advice, for ways to sort of keep you know, your own momentum going? Yeah. So, um, I've, I've spoken to people within craft, you know, I've, I've had a lot of really, um, you know, amazing people reach out to me, you know, and just kind of offer advice. Um, people have visited the brewery and just, you know, in conversation, we've come up with some, some interesting topics and, you know, they've kind of given me their insight on things going on. I've shared mine. Um, and I know like Logan as a brewer, you know, he's, he's very much into reaching out to people and help me solve this problem. Um, you know, I haven't done it too much. I'd say I, I kind of like have this myopic view, I think of like what we're doing and I'm always just very focused and managing from the P and L outward, um, more so than like what the industry is doing inward, I guess. Um, locally it's, it's about been 50, 50 of the breweries I think that have reached out to me for advice, um, which has been interesting. Some, I think, you know, are doing Especially their thing. Especially after four years in business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they kind of don't want to talk about it or, you know, what they're doing. And I respect that. Um, and then a few others have kind of, you know, extended the, the invite and I've, you know, gone over and spoken to them and they're, you know, having, you know, conflicting opinions within their group about should we can, or should we, you know, be a brew pub? Should we still have a kitchen? You know, what should we do? So, um, I'm always very open and honest. I've had tons of people come in telling me they're going to do what I'm doing and how do I, how do I start and all of these things, um, which you know is always interesting. Is that flattering or frustrating? Um, it's, it's humbling sometimes, but it's, I think it's frustrating because, you know, a lot of people walk in and I, I had a guy who was um, looking to spend his retirement money on opening a very large brewery. And I kind of sat him down and I was like, I, you know, I get it. Everyone has a dream and, and I, I fully respect that. However, um, you really want to run these finances through. I'm happy to help you do that. And, you know, I'll, I'll be an open book because I don't know that getting into this, you know, when you have a, a very clean, clear retirement in front of you is, is the right option. You know, yeah. it's, it's a lot of sweat equity. It's a lot of passion and it's a lot of, you know, waiting for investment return, you know, and, and kind of, 
you know, taking that risk, it's always a risk, right? And especially, like I said, you know, four years ago, my conversation with him would have been way different than it is today too, because the, the market's changing and, you know, that's a consideration as people are looking to get into craft today. You know, what else is going on besides just beer? And yeah, he ultimately didn't do it, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I, I, I told him, I said, look, if I was 65 and I had, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank, not sure I'd be spending my time in, in Holly and my craft brewery. <laughs> you know, I might yeah. be on an island somewhere just just relaxing at the end of my career. But, you know, teach their own. and Sure. But, yeah. Um, so we're recording this on a Sunday morning. Uh, there's already some people out here in your courtyard. There's the aroma of barbecue wafting through, which is uh, very nice. People are playing cornhole. Um, you're open 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and right before you came to sit down, uh, one of your servers came over and offered me a beer mosa. And I was sort of tickled by that of, you know, you know, one that you're open for brunch because there's not a ton of breweries that, 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 that do that. Um, you know, two, that you're offering different uh you know different things to sort of entice people to um uh, get out of their normal beer comfort zone um but also just that the kitchen is open this early and and already seemingly doing some some good business what was the idea of opening up with a kitchen was that like a necessity yeah i think for the area it was um so I actually read Sam Anzalone's book, um, you know, before I had opened. And one of the things that he pointed out in that book was, you know, look at the area you're opening in and look at what's there, what's needed. Um, you know, you don't build a brewery with a kitchen in an area where there are plenty of kitchens open, right? Because there's no demand for the food product. You may as well just stick to your beer, right? Here, I mean, you know the area. There's, there's almost nothing. Yeah, restaurants are, you know, very scarce. Um so, you know, we, we saw it as an opportunity to, you know, again, from a business perspective, make some money, have a brew pub. I always like to seek out a brew pub. You know, I like to sit and have a meal and have my flight and enjoy it, um, you know, in, in tangent with each other. I think food is such a complimentary, you know, product to beer. And, you know, that whole experience is just next level for me. Um, I like to eat and I like to drink. Yeah. So um, it made a lot of sense for us to have a kitchen. And then also, you know, the area just needed it. It needed another spot where people can, can go eat and have food. Um, so it was a necessity, I think. And so as far as the area, um, I think our beer can stand alone on its own. I think we could have just become a tap room, you know, in hindsight. Um, but I think the, the experience we've offered has really made us this like incredible destination in the Poconos and has just given us like that much more leverage to, succeed and succeed faster how much conversation is there between the kitchen and the brewery um so there's a a decent amount of dialogue that goes on um between the two when we're planning our new menus you know we're always looking to make sure we include products that are complementary to beer um you know some of our staple products that we always have how are we you know showcasing them in the food realm to complement what our beer offerings are um we've started doing these beer dinners which have been extremely successful so there's tons of coordination there um our brewer will you know throw five beers at our kitchen and then they'll work together to come up with these pairings and um that's become a an awesome little niche for us and and something our staff actually enjoys like everyone gets involved with that which is so cool it's not just our executive chef it's you know all the other chefs talking to the three brewers in the brewery and like the collaborative effort there is just it's amazing and people enjoy it they enjoy it so um you know i think just you know the relationship the front of house the kitchen the brewery has is is really special here i mean they've they've come together a lot and 
you know, produce this, this experience, you know, when someone comes in that door, you know, we need them all in coordination. So, um, there's definitely a high degree of like camaraderie and, and, you know, workmanship there that they all put forth, which is pretty cool. I find myself again, like coming out of the beer bubble a little bit than I'm normally in. And the idea of a beer dinner of which I've done, you know, countless in my life, um, feels like something from 15 years ago where it's like, Oh, okay, we're going to, we're going to do it. But it, it, there, there are still, you know, thousands and thousands of people who have never done one before where it is a, you know, a fun experience for them. Are, Are you finding that some of the things that maybe craft has moved on from because, you know, it's 40 plus years old now at this point and, you know, beer dinners in the early 2000s were, you know, swing a dead cat and hit 12 like you know was there are, are you finding that some of the things from the earlier days in craft like are fresh and new and can apply here because you know you were none of one absolutely what yeah was the phrase you used it was yeah one of none well, yeah yeah <laughs> we really are we're, you know we're super unique and i yeah i mean yeah as much as beer dinners have been around and stuff that was a new experience for me because you know living in this area it's just nothing we've had available to us really you know um so, you know, wine pairing dinners are huge, but beer dinners, I've felt like just, you know, didn't get their, their time in the sun up here. So, um, you know, us doing them. Yeah. I mean, people are finding them and they've never been, you know, they've never heard. So it's, it's just that perk of being in this area. That's just so, you know, fresh and ready for, for crafts and, you know, trends come back around, right? Like we always see that, um, but uh, yeah, offering that experience and the pairings and, and just the caliber that my staff's able to put them out at, you know, people are really embracing it, which is cool. You know, it's a neat thing. 52 employees. I keep coming back to that just because, you know, for all the years that I've been coming here, um, you know, I think I've been coming here since before you were even opened. Um, mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, the, to see that sort of growth. Um, but I also, everywhere that I go, I'm seeing... Uh, help wanted signs and the hospitality industry is having a very difficult time you know as we're still in this pandemic um getting people to work front of house back of house are 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 you could could you use more staff are you behind the eight ball with 52 or so right now you know we're fully staffed um and we have applications still walking in the door so um i think that's a testament to a couple of things um you know a long time ago I received some great advice again about, you know, how you treat your employees and and how that comes back to you. And, um, you know, my family's owned other businesses, like very entrepreneurial parents. And one thing we've always been known for is, you know, treatment of our staff. And it's hard to offer those things, you know, like great benefits and stuff when you're um, so small or you're just starting out. But, you know, I set goals for my staff and I said, look, like we're going to get a 401k plan in place. Like we're going to have health insurance. We're going to have all these things. I mean, my servers have a 401k plan with the match. They have health insurance, you know. So we've we've kind of gotten this, you know, I guess reputation now of being an employer who who's able to support their staff in hospitality and and those things are kind of, you know, an anomaly I think for most yeah. places that are doing hospitality. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, I might it, leave an application as on my yeah. way out. Yeah. <laughs> but it all comes back, you know, and we we have a lot of professional staff now. We have, you know, a marketing team of 3. We've got, you know, sales uh, two salesmen we have, you know, our brewers. And again, kind of goes back to like, how do you garner respect? And, and, you know, the, the relationship Logan and I have, and a lot of that is, 
you know, how you treat people. And um, it's, it's, a, it's like that across the board with, you know, all of our staff. And, you know, the, over 50% of our staff have been here. I mean, you probably see familiar faces yeah, no, every I, time you come um, for like the full, we're going on four years of being open. And, you know, most of them have been here for the long haul, which is awesome just to have that retention. Um, it's, it's really something you don't see in hospitality at all anymore. Um, so it's, you know, it, I know it's hard and, and sometimes it's, you know, taking out money from, you know, what my profits would be to, to support that, but it, it comes back in the long run. And when you're not retraining people constantly, it's, you know, it goes back to the experience for your customers and, um, you know, just the quality of your products. If you can keep that consistency, you know, a lot of that is in the people that are producing those things. When you're saying the profits, though, the, the margins on restaurants and on the food side of things are always not great. Correct, um, yeah. And I've been hearing a lot of rumblings, and I know that you mentioned this as well uh, before we started, of you know, food prices these days. And the cost of doing business is getting harder. What does the next couple of months look like? Yeah, that's we're in a hard planning phase right now to try to figure that out um, because, yeah, this summer, just the instability of pricing and things like food and um, paper products and gloves, you know, just all these random little things that we didn't know that was coming, you know, um, and it's it's always different and it's things that just blow your mind. It's like, well, why why are hamburger buns, you know, twice the price this week or whatever it is. But, you know, across the board, just looking at all of those price increases, um, you know, we, we do a seasonal menu, which kind of helps. So we're going to actually take this opportunity to like roll our menu over in a couple weeks here and try to cost it down, right? And just be better P&L planners, um, you know, tighten up some of the other expenses that we have, um, look to add more of our wholesale and, and really push the beer um, but, you know, still make money in our kitchen. Like at the end of the day, that's got to break even at least for us, if not, you know, make money. So this summer has yeah. been kind of a break even, which has been a little tough. Um, you know, we have a great volume of people walking through our doors, but volume, you know, doesn't always translate into margin and profit. Sure. You know, and there's only so much that you can pass on to the consumer before yeah. people are going to say, well, wait a minute, like. I'm not going to spend 25 bucks on a hamburger. Or, exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's where we're, we're kind of, you know, looking because we still want to offer a great experience to our customers, but we can't also have $25 hamburgers, you know, cause that's just unrealistic. Um, so we're, we're looking at improvements, you know, within our menu and, and what we're offering and what's available and, you know, how we can kind of fine tune all of that. Um, the, the beer side has been pretty consistent on margin, which has been great. You know, um, the cost of business there has not really been impacted too much. Um, it's mostly been on the brew pub side. One of the things that I've always been struck by, and, and I know every brewery has merch, mm-hmm. um, but you all have done a pretty good job of trying to, or, or, I guess convincing people that they need that t-shirt, they need that glassware as they're leaving. It's, it's, you really have this model, especially during the pandemic of actually exiting through the gift shop. shop. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, which, (laughs) but you're, you're, you're changing things up a lot. It's not just the same old, like, here's a, here's our logo on a shirt. You know, like you are putting some actual thought into merch. Yeah. Yeah. Where was that born out of? So one of the local uh, businessmen in the area, actually, when we had first started out, told me, do not like 
take your merch for granted. He's like, you're in a tourist area. He goes, you will sell a ton of merchandise. And he was absolutely 100% correct. Um, we do. We sell a, a great deal of merchandise here. Um, and it's funny. Like, I'll get a text from my friend who's in Central Park jogging. And she's like, I just saw a guy go by on a bike with your shirt on. <laughs> How cool is that? You know? Um, and it, it does. It, you know, gets your brand out there, which is amazing. And people relate to that. And it goes back to the whole vacation vibe thing. Like, oh, I remember when I was there. We had such a great day at the lake. We had some great beer you know it's 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 you're just eliciting those good feelings and um you know funnily funny enough like the merch i think helps do that right it brings you back and makes that connection and um we've we've actually sold a lot of the same flagship merchandise that we call you know our black t-shirts with our logo on them and they just they fly i mean we haven't been able to keep it in stock this summer you came in today when we're fully stocked again but we've been out of shirts for like two weeks you know and that wasn't for not of planning i mean it was just the the way it flew this year it was unbelievable that's gonna um, make you twitchy though yeah to be out for yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it was that was a, a couple of hard weeks there but um yeah now that it's back look out you know it'll, it'll fly again and there's plenty of backup orders but um but yeah we've you know we've branched out into some other merchandise and even around the holidays like the amount of shipping we do of merchandise that people gift was actually like staggering this year um it's, it's, it's been a really good little revenue center for us and it definitely helps, you know, support everything else. But, um, yeah, through COVID we've learned to kind of work on our flow, um, in this way that, yeah, it is, it's an exit through the gift shop theory and people buy the t-shirt and they also buy the beer to go, you know, beer to go has become a huge, huge thing for us through the pandemic. Like people learn to buy at the source, which again, I, you know, I guess it was a, a Northeast PA thing where people didn't understand that concept, yeah. but they were almost forced to come buy it here when everything else shut down and um that's stuck around which is it's been a, a good you know margin hit for us you know and people were just walking in and just buying beer by the case and oh yeah walking out. Yeah. yeah 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 we sell lots of beer by the case um we do you know single cans so people can mix up their four packs we sell the four packs you know and um yeah the, we do case of the mondays that's been a great promotional thing for us we're you know and encourage case people to come mondays. buy cases okay. yeah <laughs> yeah it's clever so yeah yeah and it works it works yeah People will buy their cases on Monday. They plan their their beer, you know, purchases now, which is kind of neat. Um, but um, yeah, the the gift shop merch thing has been a great, great, you know, savior for us, I guess, in a sense of like rebounding from COVID. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, as we start to wrap up, I I've been looking for you know escapes from reality, and I've been rewatching The Good Place at night, my wife and I, and sort of had this idea of uh, I don't know if you know the concept but there's this uh, if you've seen the show but there's a concept of the green door where you can walk through the door and be anywhere with anybody mm -hmm. and so if you could walk through the green door uh, after this interview is over and go have a beer anywhere with anybody and it doesn't have to be a celebrity alive or dead kind of thing yeah. but just where would you go who'd you drink with um, honestly, I think I would, I'd go have a beer with my cousin Maurice <laughs> because, you know, um, I think he and I are, are, we're just actually in that same mindset right now. And as much as we like, you know, we'll text and, you know, he's busy, I'm busy. I, I think I'd really just, you know, appreciate the opportunity to sit down with him and have a beer. And with COVID, you know, we had all these plans to go see each other and travel, but, um, that hasn't been a thing. So, um, I would love an opportunity to just actually sit down and have a beer and have a very open conversation with him about what's going on in my my world and what's going on in his world he's just been someone I could trust you know throughout this whole process and 
I'm, I'm really kind of just um, in search of that that opportunity right now to to have some sound advice from someone like that, you know. And um, he's just a very smart business mind, and I think the two of us together have, um, you know, solved a lot of each other's problems. So um, that's that right now would be really uh, cathartic and healing for me. I think to have to sit down and have a beer with him and and kind of regroup on what's happened the last four years and and where I am and where I can go. I hope you get to do that soon enough. I hope so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. You might have noticed the world feels a bit weird again. And with everything going on, just a reminder to stay safe and take care of yourself and each other. And you can always reach out with guest or beer suggestions by emailing me directly at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com. And if you're a fan of smoked beers, because of course you are, join us on the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page or on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. Liz Melby is also standing by on email to answer any and all advertising questions you may have, dear listener. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that... Thanks to NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program, used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And we're also brought to you by Dragon's Milk. 20 years ago, New Holland Brewing Company embarked on a journey into the unknown, brewing the first batch of Dragon's Milk bourbon barrel-aged stout. What started as a single barrel on the back of the brewery has transformed into the best-selling American-made stout today. Pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels, each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. A reminder, once again, to check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch, available where podcasts are found. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, including a recent episode with Logan Ackerley. He's the head brewer at Wall and Paulback Brewing Company. So if you liked what you heard about the brewery today, you can get a little bit more context by tuning into that episode from earlier this summer. And of course, the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. Nate Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.